how's everyone doing this morning? I don't know about you, but I, I do enjoy the singing this morning. God has been good, eh? Uh, it's, it's, always, uh, it's always good to come into the house of the Lord and fellowship with one another and to worship our God. So I'm excited every Sunday morning to come here and to worship. So I, I don't know about you, but I'm excited because God is a, is a good God. God is a wonderful God. He's a great God. So we ought to give him thanks. I'm not seeing anyone visiting with us this morning. It seems it's a re- regular faces. So welcome. I'm glad that you're here to worship God with us. Um, so if, I think in, in the bulletins, you, you'll find the, the necessary um, announcements. Pastor Darrell has been challenging us with different messages about what God says about us. He has thought that I am a sinner, that I was born into the family of the old Adam, He has said that I am loved by Christ. He has also informed us that our heritage was in the old Adam, but now our heritage is in the new Adam who is Jesus Christ. He gave us an illustration of how Christ's death on the cross was just a a demo of his everlasting love for us. He has mentioned that we are secured in Christ, that when a person is truly saved, no one can snatch that person out of the hands of God. He told us that we are dead to sin. This means the principle of sin no longer reigns supreme in our life and that we live, or that we are alive in Christ. And last Sunday spoke about how we are bound by grace. Daryl said, we were under the mastery of sin, or we were slaves to sin, but now we are slaves to what? Righteousness. This righteousness is produced, is produced by love, not by following a set of rules. While Daryl spoke about the nuts and bolts of who we are in Christ and gave us the basis for faith or theological, our theological framework, who we are in Christ. My intention this morning is to see how we flesh out who we are in a practical sense. Now that I am loved, right? Now that I am a saint, now that I am secured, Now that I am dead to sin, now that I am alive in Christ, now that I am bound by grace and not slave to sin, I want to, now that I'm, 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 I'm not a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness, what does that look like? To continue the series, What God Says to Me, I want to frame my message in the title, I Am a Neighbor. Turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we'll read from verse 25 to verse 37. 
It says, and I'm reading from the NIV translation, it says, on one occasion, an expert in the, in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor with all your strength and mind and love your neighbors yourself. You have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to what? justify himself, so he asked the question, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when they saw him, they passed by on the other side. Verse 32. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But the Samaritan, as he traveled, came where, came where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put him on his own donkey and took, and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had showed him, the one who, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, Go and do likewise. Speak to our hearts this morning. May your name be exalted and be glorified. Amen. Most of us believe that our neighbors are those who live next door, or those who, who, who we who, are those who live next door, or those who, who live in our neighborhood. We try to assist them in different ways. We we, have, we allow our children to play together. We, we might share a meal with our neighbor. We do different things with our neighbor. But let us examine the text. Let us examine what Luke says. At some unspecified time, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, which suggests to me that people were seated. It is evident that Jesus was teaching a lawyer in those days was, was, was a very learned person. They had a vast knowledge of the, Old Testament, of the Old Testament scriptures. A lawyer would be one who would be involved in the interpretation and, to, and, the, preserva and the preservation of the law. In particular, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. To become an expert in the law, one would have to start from a very early age. This student would have to align himself to a mentor and give more allegiance to the mentor than to his parents. The student would, would, would have to re reproduce ver verbatim the words and expressions of his teacher. 
when the student mastered the material of his teacher and was competent to make his own decision, he would become a non-ordained student. When he become of, or became of age, around 40, he would then become an ordained minister, ordained scholar, a scribe, or a lawyer. When the expert in the, in the law asked Jesus the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He, 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 he did not ask the question with a sincere heart. He was not asking, with, he was, he was not asking with, an, with an attitude that he was desperate and that he was on his way to hell and in need of a savior. He asked the question thinking he could do something. Thinking he could do some kind of meritorious work in order to earn salvation. He asked the question to take an issue with Jesus, to trap Jesus, or to see what kind of teacher he was. Asking this question in the manner he did suggests he was, not think he, he, he was thinking of some form of salvation by works and had no understanding of divine grace. He did, he did not understand that eternal life denotes a life that will never end. Eternal life, life denotes, denotes not only the quantity of life, but the quality of life. Eternal life is, a matter, is not a matter of keeping rules, it, it, but, but, it, but it is trusting in the ruler of life. It is a gift from God. So he asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked him, what is written in the law? And Jesus was absolutely correct to recommend the lawyer to the law. The text read in verse 26, 27, and 28. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbors yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. Jesus placed the law before the lawyer, as I've said, because he was a lawyer. Jesus placed the law before him so that he could see his selfishness. So that when he looked in the mirror through the eyes of the law, he could see that he was in depravity. He, was, he could see his degeneracy, his worthlessness, his recklessness, his wretchedness. The lawyer's Next question should have been, how can I receive this eternal life? I'm going to hell and I need a savior. I am desperately wicked and in, and in the sight of God and I need to be washed by the blood of the lamb. But instead of asking the right question, he wanted to pick a fight with the master teacher. He wanted to justify himself, so he asked the question, who is my neighbor? Again, I believe he had the wrong perspective. He thought his neighbors were those of the household of Israel. He did not think of other people group. He, he, did not, he, he did not think of other people groups outside of Israel. He thought he should be neighbors to those whom he, he, he was comfortable with. The idea of love toward mankind did not reach him. The lawyer and those in, and those in his circles thought that the love 
of God's new racial, economical, cultural, and class boundaries. Jesus asserted to the lawyer in the parable that the love of God knows no, no national boundaries. It does, not, it does not know any economical boundaries. It does not know any racial boundaries. It does not know any class boundaries. Listen, as Christians, our neighbors are not only those who live, who live next door. Our neighbors are those we come in contact with. Our neighbors are the tellers we meet at the bank, the cashier we come in contact with at the grocery store, the mothers and fathers we meet at the school bus stop, the people that we deal with every day on our job. Our neighbors are those we come in contact with every day. Those are the people who are neighbors. Jesus did not answer the lawyer's question directly. He told a story. He told a story that a man, who I believe was a Jew, was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a, a steep descent, winding and, and a desolate road. It descends around 3,000 feet and it was around 17 miles long. It is said to have been a dangerous, dangerous road to travel because robbers would, uh, would position themselves in this treacherous stretch of road. Jesus did not concentrate on the man on the fact that the man was 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 robbed, but on the violent ill treatment of the travelers who came by. It happened to it happened that a priest was passing by. The, the office of the priest was vested into the tribe of the Levites. It is possible that a priest was he, was heading it is possible that a priest was heading home. Um, um, from home to Jericho from Jerusalem after a month-long engagement in the temple offering sacrifices and prayers for the nation of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 9 to 10 it is said that a priest is one who watches over you, over your word. He guards your covenant. He teaches the precepts of Jacob and the law of Israel. He offers, he offers incense before you and, and, the, and whole burnt offering on your altar. A priest, one, a priest would examine all sacrificial animals to make sure that they were healthy and without blemish. Therefore, from what we have seen, a priest would be would consider a religious person. A one, a one you, would, you would believe would help. A wounded man. So here's the priest coming down this dusty, rugged terrain, heading home to see his darling wife and his loving children after a long month of service for God. He noticed a man beaten on the side of the road and possible dead. If this man was indeed dead and he touched this man, he would incur ceremonial defilement or, purity, or, impu or, or defilement or impurity, or impurity, which the law forbids, Leviticus 21, verse 1. He was sure of retaining ceremonial purity only by leaving the man alone. A priest, a priest who understood the worship of the Most High God, a priest who one considered to be, to be closer to God than any other Israelite, 
are priests who offered sacrifices, holy, holy psalms and solemn prayers for, for his people. A priest who has read on many occasions, thou shalt love, love, love your neighbors as yourself. A priest who could quote the entire Pentateuch, avoided the wounded man. Left the man after, avoided the man. It, in this conflict, it was ceremonial purity that won the day. Ceremonial purity that won the day. Not only did he, le- did he, not, did he not help, but, he, but he, was such, he had such disdain for this wounded man. He walked by on the other side. He walked on the other side. He deliberately avoided any kind of conflict with this man. Maybe he was saying in his mind that the robbers would return. I have not seen my family for a month and I must return quickly. I miss them dearly. The priest left the man who was suffering and in need. A man who, who, who you think would have compassion on, for people. A man who is chosen to speak on behalf of God to men and for men to God. He walked by on the other side. He walked on the other side. Can this be said of us? This man walked and left the man for dead. After reading the story, you would say to yourself, a priest did not help. But more than likely, a Levite would help the wounded man. But we must note that, we must note all, we must note that all priests were Levites. But not all Levites were priests. The Levites are from the tribe of Levi, who is a descendant of Jacob. The Levites were set apart to serve God, in, patak, in particular, to take care of all the furnishings in the tabernacle, in the Ark of the Covenant. The Levites were placed into three families, the Gershonites, the Kohathites, and the Merarites. They were assigned to move the tabernacle when it was to be moved. If any other person Touch the tabernacle, they would be instantly be killed. So a priest, so like the priests, the Levites were religious people. Because of their religious background, you would think they would be interested in helping someone that was in need. I believe he was also he was also interested in matters of ceremonial purity. Therefore, he also left the wounded man. On the side of the road. He walked on the other side. Those in attendance would have expected a priest and a Levite to be followed by an Israelite layperson. Jesus' introduction to the, of the Samaritan man, I believe, was a devastating shock to the lawyers and his friends. The Jews did not take kind to Samaritans because of their mixed Jewish and Gentile ancestry. As you may recall, the woman at the well said to Jesus, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In light of this great tension and divide between Jews and and Samaritans, the, the Samaritan was the last person they expected to help. But it was the Samaritan man who was deeply moved with compassion to help the wounded man. Listen, Cornerstone, to be a neighbor... We must have compassion. To be a neighbor, 
we must have compassion. Compassion is to experience the suffering with those who are suffering. He was he, 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 he saw the wounded he saw the wounded man and he had a sense of suffering for the man. He he, he, he was moved with love. To have a sincere compassion for the wounded man. The Samaritan, Samaritan man did not ask the wounded man, what, um, what is your religious status? He did, not, he did not ask him if he believed in the Westminster Assembly Catechism. He did not ask him if he was a Catholic, Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Jehovah's Witness, or Mormon, he did not ask him, he did not ask the wounded man if he's a Calvinist or an Arminian. He did not ask him if he was saved or lost. He had, he, 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 what he did was to, was to show compassion. He was tender-hearted. He was merciful. He was sympathetic. He was compassionate to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. He had mercy. He had pity for the wounded man. When was the last time you show compassion to someone who, 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 who was having a car problem on the side of the road? Or, so, or, so, or someone in our church we don't talk to on a regular basis or have not seen in a long time and, and, and find out what is going on in their life and have compassion for him or her? Are, are, are we experience, experiencing the suffering with those who are having hard times. The Samaritan man experienced the suffering by, by, coming, by stopping and helping the wounded man. He had compassion. Do we have compassion to those who are in need? To those he was willing to stop and help and showed mercy on the wounded man. Not only did he have compassion, but the Samaritan man had contact. To be a neighbor, believers, we must have contact. We must have contact. He bandaged. He bandaged the man's wound. Poured on oil and wine. Wine would have been used for cleansing the wound and the alcohol in it had some antiseptive effect. The Samaritan man might not, might not have known this. What he did, what he did know was that he was helping a wounded man. He was helping a wounded man. Being a neighbor means that we have to get our hands dirty sometimes. It means we may have to wipe a snotty nose, change a dirty diaper. It may mean that we have to clean a wound. It may mean that we have to dry up some tears. Or it may even mean that we have to help someone with their most personal and intimate situations. It means that we have to have contact with individuals. It means that we have to come down from our high position to where people are and minister to them in their point of need. There was physical contact. It cannot be done from a distance. 
To be a neighbor, we must have physical contact, come down from where we are, touch the individuals, encourage them, be there for them. That's what it means to be a neighbor. Know that I am saved. Know that I am a saint. Know that I am secured. Know that I am I'm, 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 I'm free from the slavery. I'm, I'm not slave to sin, but slave to righteousness. What does that mean? It means that we must now have contact with individuals. We must have compassion for the lost. For those who are in need. That's what it means. Now that I'm a believer. Now that I'm a saint. What's the next move? Here's the next move. Be a neighbor to those we come in contact with. Be a neighbor to those we come in contact with. Listen, people are hurting right here in this room this morning. For whatever reasons, they are in pain. They may need a shoulder to cry on. They may need a listening ear, listening ears. Or they, may, or they may need some godly counsel. But in order for these things to happen, there has to be contact. There has to be physical contact. The Samaritan man had compassion. He had contact. And he cared. He cared. To be a neighbor, we must care. We must care. The text tells us that the Samaritan man put the man on his own donkey and took care of him. The wounded man was too weak to walk. So the Samaritan man puts him on his donkey, which suggests to me that the Samaritan man walked. He walked. Maybe it was 8 miles, 17 miles. We said the distance was around 17 miles long. Possible, let's say halfway. Maybe he walked eight, between eight and seven miles. He walked, he put the man and his donkey and he walked. The Samaritan man was a practical Christian. Was a practical person. When a brother or sister or someone <coughs> that we come in contact with who has a genuine need, do we walk on the other side by telling the person that will pray for you? Instead of trying to help the person in their need. Do we say, okay, we'll pray for you. Or do we say, how can I help? Or do we pass it on to someone else, call someone and pass it on to someone else. And that might work sometimes. But do we pass it on or, or we say, let's pray for you and, and allow the person to go. When the person is in need. He was practical about his Christianity. Caring means that there will be sacrifice, believers. It means that there will be sacrifice. Caring means we have to give up something of value in order to benefit someone else. Let me repeat that. Caring means that we have to give up something of value in order, in order to benefit Someone else, that's what the Samaritan man did. He came off his donkey and put the wounded man on his donkey. And he walked, he, he made sacrifice. He walked. 
He put the man on his donkey and he walked. We may have to walk while we let someone need a ride. Let so, let, let, we, we, may, we may have to walk while we let someone in need ride. We may have to do without to help provide for others. We may have to be inconvenienced to help someone else. We may have to adjust our schedule or modify our plans to help someone in need. Listen, the Christian life is not easy. The Christian life, it's hard. I'm not telling you I, 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 do, I do it, all of these things. No, it's hard. But that's what is required, believers. It's hard. It takes sacrifice. We must care to be a neighbor. We must care. We must care. But when someone is in need, we have to stop playing church and get our hands dirty and care for them. Get involved in our brother's and sister's life and find out where they are hurting and need a good Samaritan. I believe that is what Pastor Darrell desires of us. I believe that's what the elders desire, desire of us. I believe we need to take off the mask, drop the facade, and care for those who are in need. And care for those who are in need. Are we being unable? Are we having compassion? Are we having contact? Are we caring for individuals? Finally, he had compassion, the Samaritan man. He had contact. He cared for the wounded man. And finally, to be unable, it will cost. To be unable, it will cost. What will it cost you to be a neighbor? What will it cost me? I ask yourself a personal question. What will it cost me to be a neighbor? Will it cost me my time? Will it cost me my money? But guess what? It might even cost us our very life. It might even cost us our very life. That's what it means to be a neighbor. It might cost us our very life. What will it cost you? The wounded man, the, the Samaritan man helped the wounded. He could have died. But he stopped and helped the wounded man. He, it, it cost him. It, it could have cost him his life, but he, he didn't care about his life. He cared about the wounded man. That's what he cared about. He cared about the wounded man. What will it cost you to be a neighbor? What will it cost me to be a neighbor?
what will it cost you? The Samaritan man was practical. He not only bandaged the man's wound, but he even went an extra mile, put the man on his own donkey, and carried him to an inn. He did not stop there. He gave the innkeeper money to look after the wounded man he had never met. Ever thought about that? He gave the innkeeper money to look after the wounded man he had never met. He had never laid, laid eyes on this man. But he stopped, helped him, and gave the innkeeper money to take care of this man. It cost him. What will it cost you? It did not only cost him his money, but it cost him his time. Maybe he was rushing to an important meeting. Maybe he hadn't seen his wife and family in a while and he was rushing home to see them. Knowing that robbers lingered around on this strip of road showed that the Samaritan man was selfless. He cared more for the man than he did his own safety. He cared not for his life, only for the man whose life was in danger. I believe this was a poor Samaritan man, but he did a rich and noble act. The Samaritan man knew what it meant to be a neighbor. The wounded man could not repay him for what he did for him. He was stripped of his uh, he was stripped by the robbers of all he had, even his clothes. The Samaritan man was was looking was not looking for something back from the wounded man. He was just showing charity to someone he had never met. Listen, charity does not look for payment. Charity does not look for, pay for payment. If that is the case, then charity would cease to be charity. It would be a job. It would be a job. Look at the Samaritan man. Look what the Samaritan man said in verse 35. He said, text, the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. He was not telling he was not telling the innkeeper to look after the wounded man quickly and get him out so that the cost will be low. He was saying, make sure you act, make sure he was, say, he, he, he was saying, make sure this man is well, is well before you discharge him. The innkeeper must have asked, must have, must have asked, is, is he your brother? Is he a relative? Is he a, 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 is he a close friend? Why you're doing all these things for him? Are you under are, are, are you under some obligation to this wounded man? 
The Samaritan must have said to him, No, I have never seen this man before. I do not know him. I am under no obligation to this man. All I saw was a man that was in need and needed help. And I helped. Why would you be doing all these? You must, you must be related to this person. But no. The Samaritan man had the right perspective. He had the right perspective. He was saying, it doesn't matter who the person is, what background they're from, I am going to help someone who is in need. That's what it means to be a neighbor. I'm going to help someone in need. He had the right perspective. What will it cost you to be a neighbor? Will it cost you your time? Will it cost you your money? Or will it cost you your life? Listen, Cornerstone. It costs Jesus, our Savior, his life. What will it cost you to be a neighbor to someone who is in need? The greatest neighbor of all is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We were all together dead, not half dead, but fully dead in our trespasses and sins. Our iniquities and our wounds were not of someone else's doing, but of our own choosing and doing. We were, in a, we were in opposition to Jesus in every step of the way, and we oppose his divine nature. We have resisted and rejected him. We refused, we have refused his great love. We have spoken evil to him and of him. We have lived years rejecting his calling, yet in his infinite love, he has not given up on us. It was, this, it was his wondrous love and compassion that moved the Savior's heart to leave the splendor and glory of heaven and come to a people that despised him. He, he found us in our misery and vomit and left his position of authority at his father's right hand and bent over to lift us out of the mire and muck that we're in, though he knew we were enemies of him. Jesus cared for us so much that he shed his blood. The Samaritan poured oil and wine on the wounded man. And Jesus shed his blood for us who were wounded in sin. The Samaritan man gave all he had to the wounded man. And Jesus gave himself to die for my wretchedness, for your wretchedness. It cost Jesus his life. Our Lord and Savior was battered and bruised. He was wounded and stripped. He was not half dead, but he was fully dead in the tomb. The only way Jesus could deliver mankind from the ultimate punishment for sin was to shed his precious blood and die for man's unbelief. 
Jesus Christ was the ultimate neighbor. Jesus Christ was the ultimate neighbor. Are you a neighbor? Now that you're saved, now that you're a saint, now that you're secure in Christ, now that you're not slaves to sin, but a slave to righteousness, now that you're dead to sin, now that you're a bond servant of Christ, are you a neighbor? Verse 36 reads, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. To be a neighbor, there must be compassion. To be a neighbor, there must be contact. To be a neighbor, we must care. And to be a neighbor, it will cost us. What will it cost you? May I challenge you as Jesus Christ challenged these lawyers or this lawyer. Go and do likewise. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Now that we are saints, now that we are saved by grace through faith, not ourselves, it's a gift from God. What's our next step? Our next step is to be neighbors to those we come in contact with. Father, we pray that you have spoken to the hearts of your people. Pray that you have challenged our hearts. Lord, we pray that we, have, we will respond accordingly. Father, as we sing, Lord, if someone is here who is challenged, pray that they so desire, come to the altar or come to the feet of the cross and confess their sins to you. Confess their unneighborliness and respond. We pray that this congregation will be a better place because we are concerned about individuals. We want to be neighbors to those we come in contact with. Thank you, Lord. We give you all the praise and all the glory because you and you and you only deserves it. In Christ's name, amen.